You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Kevin Harrington, who was one of the original sharks on the ABC show Shark Tank, uh, he knows a fair amount about entrepreneurship, especially how to move product. Shark Tank wasn't his first foray into television. He actually rose to TV prominence as the inventor of the late-night infomercial, creating his very first infomercial in 1985. He later joined forces with the Home Shopping Network. He's named as one of the top entrepreneurs of our time by Entrepreneur Magazine, and who else would know? The man knows how to sell. I recently read an article that he wrote on the art of selling, in which he says that the one thing that you need, the one thing you must have to sell more of anything is personal belief in the product. That's why companies like Hollister and and American Eagle strongly encourage their salespeople to wear their branded merchandise while they're at work, and they outright refuse to allow them to wear merchandise branded with any competitor. Right? I mean, it would look pretty bad if the person trying to sell you Abercrombie and Fitch wasn't even willing to wear it themselves, right? And so in the article, Harrington says that there are two foundational things that you need to believe when selling. First, you must believe that people truly need your product. And second, you need to believe that they will benefit from your product. They need it and they will benefit from it. Selling, he says, is believing. And in the article, he he quotes the motivational speaker, Shiv Kara, who says 90% of selling is conviction and 10% is persuasion. Certainly, evangelism is different than selling clothes or cars right? Being an evangelist is different than being a salesman. But I wonder if some of the reason that so many of us are so bad at evangelism isn't simply because we don't really believe what we're preaching. I mean, we we believe perhaps enough for ourselves, but, but we aren't too sure that we believe that this is the sort of thing that other people really need. Do they really need the gospel of Jesus Christ? We believe that it's been beneficial to us, perhaps, but whether it'll be beneficial to somebody else is another thing altogether. And thus, our evangelism becomes far more about persuasion than conviction, and trying to persuade without conviction is exhausting and generally a failure altogether. Our mission at College Creek Church is taking the gospel to heart, to Annapolis, and to the world. What we are attempting to articulate is that before we can really take the gospel anywhere, we must have it, believe it ourselves. However, when we really believe it deeply, fully, with conviction, we take it everywhere we go, and we would be willing to share it with anyone who we would meet. Right When we really believe the gospel, we know that everybody 
needs it and that there is nothing that would benefit them any more than a relationship with Jesus. And so that, that's the mission statement of, of our church. And when we came up with that, we were not thinking about the calling of Ezekiel. It wasn't on our mind. But as I read this passage, we realized that actually it's the same process that's happening in Ezekiel's life here that must happen in our life as well. Ezekiel, we're going to find here, is, is being filled up with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God, and then he's going to be sent out in that same Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, to share that same Word with others, that same message. And so our church's mission is to take the gospel to heart, to Annapolis, and to the world. But perhaps if we were making a more personal mission statement for each one of our lives, it would go something like this, taking the gospel to heart and sharing sharing it with others. That ought to be our personal mission statement. And that's the sort of call that's placed on Ezekiel's life here in our passage from Ezekiel 2 this morning. And so um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and let's turn our attention to Ezekiel chapter 2. If you picked up one of these Bibles on your way in, you'll find it on page 772. And, And just a reminder, these Bibles that we have here, these Bibles are for you. And so if you need a Bible for any reason, please take one of those with you. We have them out there for you. And for now, let's turn our attention to Ezekiel chapter two. And let me just remind us as we do of the scene that was set for us last week in Ezekiel chapter one. So Ezekiel is an exile in a, in a foreign land, the land of Babylon. He's been taken captive from Jerusalem, his homeland. He was hauled off with all of these other exiles about five years previous to the encounter that we're going to see today. And then one day, he's sitting on the banks of the Chabar Canal, and he has an encounter with the glory of God. God's glorious throne chariot arrives with such power and splendor that he really can't even describe it. Words begin to fail him. And having seen the glory of God, what we're told is that Ezekiel falls on his face in worship. And he listens to the voice of God. And that's how we're going to find him as we open up our Bibles to Ezekiel 2. He is face down, but ears open to the voice of God. And so let me read for us, starting in Ezekiel 2 verse 1, it says this, and he, that's God, and he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking. And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and, and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed by their looks, for they are a rebellious house." And you shall speak my words to them. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, 
Hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there was writing on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you for they're not willing to listen to me because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears and go to the exiles, to your people and speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Do you believe the gospel enough to share it with others? Are you taking the gospel to heart and sharing it with others? Just listen to these last two verses. I'm just going to read them again. These last two verses. Son of man, God says, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart, hear with your ears and go. Go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Those two verses sum up this whole passage, and we could sum up those verses in this way. Take it, take the word of God to heart and share it with others, whether they believe it or not. God says to him, receive my word in your heart. Hear them, hear my words with your ears, internalize them, right? Literally, let them become part of you. Nourish yourself on them, right? That's what he says earlier up in the beginning of chapter three. He says, eat this scroll, eat it up, right? Look at verse three, he says, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And, and what, what was on the scroll? The word of God. The word of God filling both sides, the front and the back. And so let me, just, let me just ask you, are you feasting on God's word? Or do you just kind of nibble a bit every now and then? Are you letting God's word sink in 
Or do you just read it and then move on with your life? He doesn't say just to hear with your ears, but to receive it, he says, into your heart. But I think many of us just take sort of passing glances at the Bible and then move on with things before anything's able to, to take any root in our hearts and our minds. And then we're so surprised when we don't see any advancement in, in our struggle against sin, when we don't see any growth in our intimacy with Jesus, when we don't see any deeper reliance on the Spirit. Listen, you want to you fight sin in your life? Here's the example of Scripture. The, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. You want to fight temptation in your life? Fight it with the truth of God's word. Let me tell you this. All temptation, all temptation is based on a lie. It's all based on lies. And so when we have the truth of God's word ready, we're able to fight back against the lies of Satan. Right? In, in that vein, remember what, remember what we're told in 2 Timothy 3. Here, the apostle Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God would be complete and equipped for every good work. I mean, do you see that? Do you want to be equipped for good and godly work? then let your life be shaped and fashioned by the word of God. In, in, in fact, in our passage here, Ezekiel, he's, he's told not only instructed to receive God's word, right, then, but to live a life that is shaped by it. You see that in chapter two, verse seven, God instructs him to not be rebellious like the house of Israel is rebellious. He says, take the truth to heart, it doesn't just mean hearing it or even believing it, but living in light of it, right? That's what James 1 is telling us when it says to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, right? Let God's word infiltrate deep into your life so that you might be transformed by it. And as we as we just read, the word of God then trains us in righteousness. It equips us for good work. Now, of course, in, in our passage here, Ezekiel, is, we're talking about these prophecies, these prophecies that are gonna be laid out throughout the rest of the book of, of Ezekiel, right? But in, but in our lives today, we might use sort of as, as shorthand for what is the, the word of God, we might just use the word gospel, it's the gospel that trains and equips us. So we take the gospel to heart. Right? But, but let me go further than that. What does it mean? What does it look like to take the gospel to heart? I think that, I think that many people in churches all over the place, we have a stunted understanding of the gospel. We have, we have something that we call the gospel, and we believe th that thing but we haven't given it much deeper thought than Jesus died to save me. That's the gospel. Jesus died to save me. Let's be honest, that's, that's important. That is an important truth, right? Without Jesus in our lives, we would be hopeless and, and destined for an eternal hell separated from the love of God. 
right? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and that the punishment for our sin is death. And the good news, the gospel is that Jesus has come and he has died in our place and he, and he took the death that we deserved and he, and he paid the penalty in full and then he rose again and he claimed victory over death and sin so that now anybody who would trust in him would be forgiven and stand in victory with him. But the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is about God making all things new. The good news of Jesus is that one day, all the things that are wrong in this world will be set right again. All the, all the torturous realities that we live with each and every day, things like sickness and war and depression and anxiety and mass shootings and anger and jealousy and death and sadness and pain. And the fullness of love. But that's not all. The gospel is the truth that this life right now, this life of peace and joy and love is here with us now. It's available to you right now. And that's where, I think that's where many of us fail to believe the gospel. We're fine with affirming that our sins are paid for, and we're fine with believing that one day God is going to make everything better, but we simply don't see the gospel having all that much to do with our present situation. And because of that, we just go on living life just like, like we always have. We go on living life just the same way as everybody else, and here is the, the God of the gospel the God of glory. And he's saying, I have so much more for you. Jesus tells us that if we will abide in him, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. That's the gospel. You have been invited into a deep abiding relationship with God. And in that relationship, there is freedom. But how many of us continue to walk around in our lives living in the chains of bondage, bondage to our fears and our anxieties, bondage to our compulsions and our addictions? Jesus tells us that he came to bring life and not just life, but to bring life in abundance. That's, that's the gospel offering to bring to us a quality of life that we cannot even imagine. A life of abundance, not just full, not just full, but overflowing. As my friend Will says, drinking from the saucer. That's the life that he comes to bring, a life of abundance. But so many of us are too busy filling our lives with all the things of this world. We need more money a better job, a bigger house. We need to be more popular, more loved, more respected. And we fill our lives with the useless endeavors that will never satisfy. And God is offering abundance. The gospel offers to us forgiveness, a future, freedom, and fullness. 
And we just waste our time on the frivolities of this world. Do you like that alliteration there? Let me say that again. The gospel offers to us forgiveness and a future and freedom and fullness. And we just waste our time on the frivolities of this world. Being forgiven is amazing. Knowing that you have a future hope is so encouraging, but I want you to know that Jesus has so much more for you right now. Taking the gospel to heart means letting it get into every part of your life and to begin to bring freedom and abundance, contentment and peace and joy and love. Sure, that you, um, such that you would be utterly, utterly, transformed by this gospel. That's the gospel. And it's such incredible good news that I cannot imagine how we could keep it to ourselves. If we really believe it, if we really let it sink into our hearts, you will come to believe that this is what others need. And you will begin to believe that there's nothing more beneficial for them than a relationship with Jesus. There's a commercial, a car commercial from the 80s. Mercedes-Benz had this commercial where they showed one of their cars smashing into a cement wall to demonstrate their new revolutionary energy-absorbing car body. And then a, an engineer comes out in a, in a lab coat to examine the wreck and to explain the safety feature. And he's asked, a voiceover asks him, why the company didn't enforce their patent to prevent other companies from taking their idea. And the engineer says, because some things in life are too important not to share. When we really believe the gospel, when we've really taken it to heart, we will agree that it is simply too important not to share. But many of us are hesitant in our evangelism because we are hesitant in our belief. Ezekiel is told to take God's word to heart and then to share it with others, whether they believe it or not. And we've been given that same charge with the gospel in, in, in chapter two, verse seven, here's what Ezekiel is told. He's told to speak my words to them, whether they refuse to hear, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Again, in chapter three, verse 11, go to the exiles, to your people, speak to them, say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. But, but notice this, he is to speak by the power of God and he is to speak only the word of God. You know, it, it's interesting in this, in this passage, it's only by the Spirit's power that Ezekiel is even able to stand up. He's face down before God. And the only way that he even has the strength to stand up is because the Spirit, chapter two, verse two tells us, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And as the instructions continue, sort of the promises of God's powerful assistance, including that promise towards the end of chapter three, behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, their forehead as hard as their forehead, right? In fact, the name Ezekiel actually means God will toughen. God will make you stubborn. That's what Ezekiel means. He is to engage in a stubborn evangelism. 
And so by the power of God, Ezekiel is to declare the word of God. He's not supposed to change the word of God to make it more palatable or agreeable. He's supposed to soften anything. He's instructed to speak in such a way that the people will know that a prophet has been among them. Commentator um, Landon Dowden points out that Ezekiel would prove to be that faithful messenger. More than 50 times in the rest of the book, he would say, the word of the Lord came to me. And more than 122 times, he would say, this is what the Lord says. No matter the audience, Ezekiel refused to change the message because God always knows what his people need to hear. And so our task is not creativity, it's faithfulness when we deliver the message of God. The the prophet Jeremiah, who prophesied at the same time as Ezekiel, points out that many false prophets have arisen and they're telling the people lies and the people love it. They're telling the people exactly what they want to hear. And in this way, there's really nothing new. This is what they did with the prophets of old. It's what they did in the early church, and it's what they do now as well. The apostle Paul warns us of this sort of thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let me just tell you, there's a whole lot of things in the Bible that I wish it didn't say. So I'm with you on that. There's a whole lot of things that I wish it didn't say, but I trust God. I read about hell and I shudder. But to tell people that it doesn't exist simply because that's what they want to hear will do nothing to help them. There are things that the Bible calls sin that I really wish it didn't. And here's the thing. We could all find us a pastor who tells us exactly what we want to hear. We could all find somebody who would just suit our passions but, but I believe the gospel enough to accept even the things that I find difficult. And so Dowden reminds us that if our confidence is anywhere besides the cross of Christ, we will be tempted to adjust the message that God has entrusted to us. If, if approval of God, the approval that we have in God, that we've received in Christ, if it's not precious to us, then we will adjust the message seeking man's approval instead. If the love of God that we've received in Christ is not first in our mind, then we will hold back some element of the gospel hoping that our audience will like us. And in in altering and withholding parts of the gospel, we run the risk of changing the one life-saving message into the words of death. I pray that God would make us like Ezekiel, that he would make us stubborn with the truth. Not in a mean or vindictive sort of way, full of grace and love, but stubborn with the truth. Because, Because we know that it is only by God's grace, only by God's love, that that we ourselves are following him. Ezekiel's told to take the truth to heart and then to share it with others, whether they accept it or not. 
more specifically for Ezekiel, he's told to share with them, even though they will definitely reject him. That's what he's told. Not that they might or they might not. He says, your audience is briars and thorns and scorpions. And yet even to them, the word of God must go forth. They are a people who know Ezekiel and they will not listen to him. And, and, and by and large, that's the experience of the spokespeople for God all throughout history. The prophets were stoned and killed. The people continually refused to listen to Moses, even after he led them out of slavery. They beat, stoned, eventually killed almost all of the apostles, and we know what they did to Jesus. And that's why Jesus tells us that we should expect the same sort of thing. If they rejected him, they will reject us too. But the reminder of our text here comes in chapter three, verse seven. It says, but the house of Israel, listen to this, will not be willing to listen to you. Why? For they are not willing to listen, God says, to me. The rejection we face when people don't accept the gospel is not a rejection of us. It's a rejection of God. They're rejecting him. The very God that we're trusting to save people is the God that they're rejecting. Maybe, maybe you faced rejection for your faith. Well, don't let fear or discouragement keep you from being faithful to your call. Know this, God is in the business of saving people. And he can break through the hardest of hearts. He can bring light into the darkest of minds and to the most hostile of people. Right, so we're told in our passage, be not afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. Later, we're told, fear them not. Don't be dismayed by their looks. Whatever they say to you, the way they look at you, when they reject, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Rely on the Spirit's power. The, the truth of the matter is that the Spirit is always there ready to do the work of making much of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit makes much of Jesus, but so often we just refuse to rely on the Spirit. The last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples right before his ascension is this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But as, as the pastor Art Azurdia says, our problem is not receiving the Spirit, but relying on the Spirit. He contends that the greatest impediment to the advancement of the gospel in our times is the attempts of the church of Jesus Christ to do some work, to do the work of God apart from the truth and power of the Spirit of God. But perhaps that's because we don't really believe the gospel not deeply, not really. We haven't taken it to heart, right? Because I can think of no greater motivator to share the gospel than a deep abiding relationship with the God of the gospel. When we really believe the gospel, we know that everybody needs it. And there's nothing that would benefit them more than a relationship with Jesus. And if we believe that, how could we keep ourselves from sharing the good news with them? And so I hope that each of our individual mission statements might become taking the gospel to heart and sharing it with others. And both sides of that equation are an ongoing work. 
And so I might encourage you just to begin by thinking of the gospel in these terms. Begin to think of the gospel as forgiveness, a future, freedom, and fullness. And then ask yourself, what am I not really believing? How might I increase my faith in this area or that area? What are the, what are the sins that I need to give over to the Lord? What are the dreams and hopes that I have that I need him to take? What, what fears am I still bound by? What worldly pleasures am I looking to for satisfaction? And as you give those things over to the Lord, stepping further and further into intimacy with him, you will find yourself, I believe, more compelled than ever to share this incredible good news. You will begin all the more taking the gospel to heart and sharing it with others. Let's pray. God, that's our prayer. Our prayer is that you would reveal to us more and more the glories of the gospel. And that as we let that sink into our lives, that we would, by your Spirit's power, share it with others. Widely, broadly share it with others. And that we trust that it, by your power, that you will do the work of bringing people to salvation. Well, that's not our work. We trust you with that. And frankly, God, we are in awe that you would even let us be a part of it. And so we pray, Lord, that you would make us faithful, help us to be faithful to you, to believe the gospel and to share it with others. In Christ's name, amen.